Good evening, everybody. This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine. Welcome to Rattlecast number 47. We have an excellent guest, as we always do, but an especially good one this week. It was Ron Kirchie on the line from Pasadena. Um, Ron was the first poet I ever interviewed, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing him again. Uh, he's also been the um, featured reader, the keynote speaker at the Wrightwood Literary Festival. So um, um, I've met Ron a whole bunch of times. He's a great guy, um, really excellent writer, and uh, one of the most fun writers I know, I think. So we're looking forward to hearing him in just a minute. Before we start, I should say, Rattle's a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. We've been in continuous publication since 1995, and if you enjoy what we do, um, please help us out by clicking the share button, clicking the like button, subscribing, following, um, rating it on iTunes, um, scoring it on Stitcher, whatever the heck you do. Uh, wherever you're watching this, there's so many different places, and everybody has a little unique way of um, logging that the fact that people actually like watching this content. But if you do, please click something, because that really helps. We'll also be taking questions. If anybody has any questions for Ron, uh, you can leave them on either the chat window on um, YouTube or on Facebook. I'm not really monitoring anything else because there's just too much to look at. But if I keep it to two screens, I'm good. So feel free to ask any questions on Facebook or YouTube. Um, now for the warm-up poem today, I just picked a random button again a couple times, I have to admit, and uh, we got to this one, which was a summer job, which it really feels like summer here in the mountains of Southern California, and I thought we'd have a nice summer poem to share. This is uh, by Michael Chitwood. He's a, um, uh, this was for our Southern Poets issue, right on number 39, and I can see his little bio on the bottom. He's from North Carolina and Virginia. And um, this is his poem, Summer Job. And um, he read this poem onto our voicemail way back in 2013. Um, so I turned up the volume a little bit. Hopefully you can hear him read. But I really like this poem. It reminded me of my summer jobs, too. So here we go. This is Michael Chitwood reading Summer Job. Summer Job. At the end of the workday, you could tell exactly how far you'd gotten and how much farther you had to go. Of course... It was just a ditch for a pipeline to carry the reeking slop that a neighborhood of toilets would put together to be drained away. But it was clean, the trench, the slick walls, the backhoe bucket cut, and the precise grade of the bottom. My job was to cite the transit. I gave a thumbs up or thumbs down or the OK sign if the pitch was right so that some future day's shit would flow as it should downhill. But you knew where you stood what you had done in a day, and what more there was to do. And every meaningful thing I had said, I had said without a word. I just love that poem. I love that ending. And every meaningful thing I had said, I had said without a word. Summer Job by Michael Chitwood from Rattle Number 39. Now, as I mentioned, uh, today's poet is Ron Kirchie, uh, who's the first poet that I ever interviewed at his house down in Pasadena. And um, it's, it's going to be strange maybe interviewing somebody who um, I've already asked all the questions I kind of wanted to ask. And I encourage everybody to check out this interview in Rattle Number 42 with Ron. Uh, it's on the website, so you can just find it if you type in Kirchie. Um, and that's a tough word to spell. It's um, K-O-E-R-T-G-E, right? Am I getting that right? Yeah. And, um, and um, his newest book, though, is Yellow Moving Van from Pitt Press. And as I mentioned before in the show, Pitt is actually my favorite press. Um, they just are. And um, so I went through their catalog when he started doing these shows and said, who has recent books from Pitt? And uh, Ron had one. This is Yellow Moving Van. And I love this cover, too, the way they um, took a, a stock photo and then, and then wrote 
title and then poems on the license plate. Um, and I also thought that, um, unlike most books, the um, blurbs in the back are actually true. <laughs> They're not just the flowery, uh, you know, stuff that people say. Although Billy Collins went into a little flowery with his uh, Mary's halo as big as an inner tube and all that stuff. But, um, um, but like Loreline Bogan said, in Ron Kirchie's Yellow Moving Van, you might not be certain if you should laugh out loud or squirm with recognition at our common humanity. And then uh, Charles Harper Webb, who we had on before, said, Ron Kirchie is sometimes funny, sometimes acerbic, sometimes tenderhearted, and every now and then, all of those at the same time. And that is exactly what Ron Kirchie is. Um, his bio here, uh, Ron Kirchie has published more than a dozen books of poetry and is a recipient of grants from the National Endowment of the Arts and the California Arts Council. His poems in two volumes of Best American Poetry and is a 2017 Pushcart Prize winner. He's also the author of the poem Negative Space, shortlisted for the 2017 Oscar in animated short films. He teaches at Hamline University, and that's just his poetry bio. Um, if you look up on the bio on the, that we, we listed on YouTube, um, there's a whole bunch more. He's also a young adult author. So he's the um, author of celebrated novels, including Stoner and Spaz, Strays, The Brimstone Journals, all of which are American Library Association best books for young adults. Shakespeare Bats Cleanup, etc., etc. He's a two-time winner of the Penn Literary Award for Children's Literature. He's also author of several books of poetry, which we already mentioned. He lives in South Pasadena. And uh, here he is, Ron Kirchie. Hello, how you doing, Ron? Hi, Tim. Gee, what a guy. Huh? <laughs> yeah, totally. And it, like I said, it's going to be weird to, to talk to you because, um, you know, all the stuff I wanted to would have wanted to ask you, I already asked you in that interview. I don't want to repeat yourself. But how are you doing for the... Um, during the coronavirus, are you, how you, because I know you get out a lot and, and you sort of, in the interview, you outlined your day and about waking up early to write and, um, and then going out different places. Um, what are you doing now and how are you, how are you hanging in there? Well, my wife is very easy to live with. So <laughs> that, that's, that's a plus. And we have a big house, so we're not, you know, always in the same room. But I miss, I love going to the movies. I'm going to read you a movie poem or two. Mm -hmm. I used to go to the races. I miss those. I miss having dinner with friends. Um, I miss going to bars. I like to go to bars. Um, but in another way, um, it gives me an unlimited amount of time. I just, uh, Bianca hates for me to talk like this, but I just turned 80. My birthday was a little bit ago. And I, I know that this can't go on forever. So... The more time I have, the more I read and write. Mm -hmm. So I'm using it in kind of in that way. I mean, I go every morning I get up and I go right to the Poetry Foundation. I Google Poetry Foundation and I prowl around and I see, you know, what poem wants to be read by me and what it can offer to me because I'm felonious when it comes to other people's poems. I don't so much plagiarize as I use them as a playground trampolines mm -hmm. to bounce off of, and then I'll see what's, I have a lot of poems on my desktop, and I see, it's kind of like going to an orphanage, you know, on my desktop, mm -hmm. and I see, you know, which little urchin wants some attention today, so I, I there's always one or more. Um, do you have a, um, a philosophy of writing? Like, it, it seems to me that you are maybe the most, like, mentally playful writer that I know. I don't know if I could think of anybody. It seems like you, 
like you mentioned, you know, seeing, you know, who, which, which orphan you want to pick up that day, but it feels like you, um, you're just having fun when you write. Is that the case? And is that sort of a philosophy that you go by? I don't know about a philosophy, but I, I do have fun writing. I, I enjoy it. I love reading to people. I love going, I love giving readings. I go to a lot of readings. You mentioned I really am a funny poet, but when I was picking poems today to read tonight, a lot of them aren't funny because I need an audience. I love to hear 80 people laugh at the same time. So <clears throat> a couple of these poems are funny. Some of the new ones, you know, I'm never a serious writer in the sense of lugubrious. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I want to. I want to dispel. Do you know the word habitude? Dullness isn't that a great word? Mm. I want to dispel habitude. That's my goal in life. I want to make people's day lighter. I want them to be easier going. I want them to remember a line on the bus or in the car. I want to make people's lives sweeter. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's a good a good way to look at it. I think. Do you want to start out reading something? Sure. Why, look, I happen to have something right oh, There you right go. <laughs> what a coincidence. Um, I think I'll read you page 43 in Yellow Moving Band called I Married a Monster from Outer Space. There is a movie, there is a, there is a film called I Married a Monster from Outer Space. And I'm a big fan of, of B movies and sci fi movies. I just sent some poems to uh, a science fiction poetry contest. I think I sent a poem called Devil Girl from Mars. Who wouldn't want to read a poem called Devil Girl from Mars? Well, this is I Married a Monster from Outer Space. And it begins, not on purpose. Bill's just not the Bill who walked down the aisle. He's been replaced by a spaceman who looks exactly like him. You'd think I'd be terrified, but I like a good mystery. Who is this guy, I asked myself. I had his prints on a cocktail glass analyzed, just empty spaces where the loops, arches, and whorls should be. You must have fouled up, lady, said the cop with eyes as blue as his uniform. Just like an earth man, accused me of being a dumb bunny, then flirt with me. I like the new bill. He chews with his mouth closed, never has his buddies over to drink beer and play fantasy baseball. And in bed, I don't have to wear skimpy underpants and beg him to hurt me a little, really, but not really. He simply tells me, it's time. He knows when I'm fertile as the soil on his planet probably isn't. And it's touching when he toils away to make more monsters. I'm sure that's what he's here for what they're all here for. At cocktail parties, they laugh on cue. They dance like oil derricks. But if anything happens, the car backfires, thunder rolls up from the east. They rush to our sides, hovering over us, protecting us the way our other husbands never did. And that was, um, I married a monster from Outer Space, from uh, Yellow Moving Van, Ron Kirchie's newest book. Um, you already mentioned poetry a little bit, Ron, or I mean humor a little bit. And, and I was wondering, I haven't really talked to anybody about humor itself and, and its relationship to poetry. 
because it always seems to me like they're somehow they're weirdly related. I don't know if they're like cousins or something, but um, there's a sense of of somehow poetry or, or humor is like a realization or something or something that you like hadn't articulated but is absurd. I don't know. And, and poetry does the same kind of thing where it's sort of connecting things together and like articulating. And, and, and then you have that like, ah, reaction that they have the readings, you know, and it's very similar yeah. to the haha laughter. It's like the spontaneous like exhalation of something happening. So, so what is it you, that makes humor in writing? Um, how do you go about doing it? And, and what's it, its relationship to poetry? Do you think? Well, I can't help myself. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I just can't help myself. Um, I think humor is an antidote to most poetry. Hmm, an antidote. And, yeah. 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 You know, the heavyweight stuff, um, that I've suffered more than you stuff. Mm-hmm. And those poems. Um, and I mean, I have a little gift from some god or gods or goddesses. Um, and my gift is not to be serious. There's plenty of seriousness to go around. So, I mean, some of these poems, and I'll read, I'll read if, like I said, these are not particularly funny poems tonight, but they're also not serious poems. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're a nice mixture. I mean, if, if, when I'm writing and I come toward the end of a poem, my job is to stay out of the poem's way. And there's a certain momentum all its own. And it, I'm, I mean, I'm an old Platonist who believes that that poets stand in the doorway between the finite and the infinite. So the poems are out there in the infinite. I just open the door and they come in and I massage them until they're ready to stand up. Yeah, I remember talking about that when we when we had that interview, that, that the door is something that um, and, and it's something that just fascinates me, too, because it does feel like you're channeling something as you write. Like it, it looks you know, it, it just feels like like you're not the author. And it, it makes total sense why, um, you know, people obviously wrote the Bible, but they felt like it was divinely inspired. There's some kind of strange thing that happens where you yourself dissolves and then and then the writing comes out of its own. Um, I was talking to somebody recently who they, they were just saying that, um, you know, my job is to get out of the way of the poem or to serve the poem as if the poem is this thing that didn't come from my head. Um, so, so where do they come from? If not your head, um, you know, I just you know, I don't know the answers to these things. I I left graduate school because I wasn't smart enough, and now I'm not sure I'm smart enough for this kind of discussion. You know, <laughs> uh-huh. I I write every day. I tell my students I must write 350 days of, from the year. I get sick or we're traveling or something. 300 of those poems are pathetic. <laughs> I would never show anyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're awful. But if I don't do that, how do the other 50 get to come through? Mm-hmm. And you never know. That's, that's, that's one of the joys, I think, of, of getting up, taking the cat and a cup of coffee, coming up here and going to work. Mm-hmm. And how much time do you spend doing that? Like how many hours? You know, you say you write every day, but how many hours or how many? Three or four. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But read a little, you know, and I'll take a break and go down and do laundry. Here's a secret. I love to do laundry. <laughs> really? Yeah. I won't let my wife touch my laundry. <laughs> I, mean, I, have, I have 
things that make my whites whiter, things that make my, my brights brighter. I really, I have a clothesline. I have a clothesline on the back of the house. What, what is it about, so, about doing laundry that you like? I have no idea. It's just a wonderful kind of little ritual. Um, I like to see things come out clean. My poems are clean in the sense that they have a clean line. I don't waste many words, mm -hmm. although they sound very chatty and conversational, which is my goal to make... You know, to make the wonderful athletes make things make things that are difficult look easy. I want to make my poems look easy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you definitely do. Um, do you want to read another one? Sure. Uh, let's, I'll read one of the ones, a new one that I sent you. Okay. Um, it's called After the Funeral. <laughs> Not an auspicious title for a comic poet, but... Uh, it is what it is. Hey, Here's yeah, go ahead. After the funeral, my sister and I stay to put the house on the market. Every night she dreams that a wolf comes in and circles the Christmas tree three times. The wolf is hungry and wants a dish of milk. She wakes up, hurries to the kitchen. It's morning. The milk is gone. My sister decides to watch. She dozes in the living room with a book. In the morning, the milk is gone. It's like a fairy tale, she tells me. I can't keep my eyes open. We decide to try together. The only light comes from the tree's old-fashioned bulbs, green and red mostly, our mother's favorite. She was an odd duck who let us raise ourselves. For Christmas, we got things she'd found in the street. We cry ourselves to sleep like we used to. In the morning... The milk is gone. <laughs> that was after the funeral by Ron Kirchy. If you have any questions for Ron, uh, let me know in the chat windows. Now, um, I got a question before the show. Um, do you know Mather Schneider? Does that name ring a bell? No. Uh, he is. Um, we published a chapbook of his, which is a really beautiful uh, book of love poems, actually, uh, Bag of Hands. But um, he left a comment. He's probably the most cantankerous poet on earth right now, I think, maybe. And um, so we, um, I posted your poem, Dear Citizen, which includes your reading uh, today to preview the show a little bit. And um, let me see. Um, Mather says, um, another example where the poet completely ignores his own uh, line breaks. I get tired of that. If you read the poem in a certain way, then write it that way. What the fuck are line breaks for anyway? <laughs> and then... Um, he continues, the whole point of a line break is to pause verbally and visually, and if that is completely glossed over by the reading, I don't get it. Line breaks and stanza breaks are the only damn thing that separates poetry from prose, and if you're going to ignore that, what's the point of writing with line breaks at all? Um, so, so what are line breaks to you, Ron? And, um, and I mean, I have my own theory of line break, but, but what is your theory of, of what a line break is? I don't have a theory of line break. <laughs> do you uh, do you think about it at all, or do you just put the poems? I think about it a little. Mm -hmm. You know, I've taught so long. I don't want to have students with the ends of their lines being articles and prepositions, you know, and connecting words. But I don't put a lot of stock in line breaks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, I'll just say for for me, it, it sort of paces the poem and like teaches you subtly how to read it. I think that's all there is to it. So it. To me, it teaches you how much you want to pay attention to the words themselves and the sounds of the words versus the, the story, the movie that's playing in your head. 
So, um, you know, like longer lines and, and less, less clean breaks, or I guess you could say, um, make you pay more attention to the story in the, in the movie that's kind of being projected. That's, that's my opinion of line breaks anyway. And if, if there's shorter lines or lines that are giving you more attention to the shape of the words, then you're paying more attention to the music of language. And it's sort of navigating that continuum. Do you think that does anything for you or not? That's why I left graduate school. <laughs> that kind of talk drove me right out the door. Yeah. Well, that's what people ask about, though. They want to know these things, Ron. <laughs> well, I would never mislead a student about line breaks. And if someone sent me something and they were just so misleading, I would suggest maybe a rewrite. Mm -hmm. But I don't pay a lot of attention to those little guys. Yeah, yeah. Um well, why don't we read something else? Okay. Yellow Moving Van. Page 29. Oh, no. Wait. The light in here. Oh, yeah. Page 29. I love the, uh, I love, I love, I love the Frankenstein story. Uh, it's, um, or is it the, the Mary Shelley Subtitle is or the modern Prometheus. Mm. You know, not everybody knows that. Bianca mm. um, got a hold of of um, um, the modern Prometheus, read the whole thing, and then read the the, the 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 one after. She's not here, but she could tell me something about man in the title. You know, few people know that she that 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 Mary Shelley wrote something after. Mm -hmm. This is called the ultra modern Prometheus. With DNA from the old lab plus cutting-edge technology, Dr. Bobby Frankenstein makes a new monster, a full head of hair, muscles, synonyms. They go to a pool party. The monster in Tommy Bahama togs. His date is blonde. She plucks a daisy, says coyly, he loves me, he loves me not. The monster seizes her, tosses her into the water. There's a stunned silence as she thrashes and screams. Dr. Bobby hurries the monster inside. Do you want people to chase you with pitchforks again? Is that what you want? The monster grunts. He wants his hands around Dr. Bobby's smug neck. He wants to shake him like a cocktail. He remembers fleeing in those brickbat shoes. These new ones are sleek and electric blue. There's a good chance they won't catch him this time. It's ultra modern Prometheus from from Yellow Moving Van. Um, so, Ron, you, you know, you write the the young adult novels too. Um, do you want to explain a little bit why you chose to to get into that genre and and what you get out of that? Like, what's the difference between that and poetry, and why do you do it? I think I know the answer. Well, but... <laughs> well, <laughs> well here, here's the joke that I always use. Here it comes. Not that there isn't plenty of money in poetry, <laughs> but there is money in young adult fiction. Mm -hmm. when, I, when I was writing, I, mean, I wrote one a year for six or seven years, maybe in the 70s, part of the 80s. I was getting $30,000 a manuscript. So that's a nice piece of change. Yeah. I also, and I, I think I know where it goes back to about the fiction. When I was in grad school, uh, I was in grad school with Jerry Lachlan, the 
poet from Long Beach and the paterfamilias of poetry in Long Beach. Just a wonderful guy, sweet-natured, uh, helpful. He showed me the Wormwood Review when we were in grad school. That's where I sent my first poems. And because I think of our ages, if you were a writer, you were a novelist. That was it. You know, it was Hemingway, it was Fitzgerald, it was Malamud, it was Guys. Well, you know, I wrote one novel for adults, and it was it. Well, it didn't sell very many copies. Let's say Norton published it. Though. But a friend of mine said to me once, not long after that, he said, "You know, Ronnie, it was a woman." She said, "You know, Ronnie, you're you're just you should write for sixteen-year-old boys because you're never going to grow up." <laughs> I was, you know, I was running around. I was I was having a lot of dates. I was going to the races. I was drinking a lot. I was having really having a good time. I was just in my 40s, for God's sake. So I thought, well, okay, I'll write for 16-year-old boys. And I went across the street to the library, found some YA books, and thought, literally thought to myself, shit, I can do better than that. <laughs> so, so I did. It got to be a habit. <laughs> uh, which, which one was your first one? Um, I think the, maybe the Arizona Kid. Mm-hmm. Um, Boy goes to to Tucson, works for a friend of his uncle's who is a horse trainer, a little funky track in in Tucson. What set this book off was I had, the uncle was gay. That was really a big deal in the 70s in YA YA circles. Um, I mean, I think without that, it would have been a journeyman novel. It was competently done, had my usual humor and stuff. I'm good with details, good with dialogue. But the gay Uncle Wes was just like, holy cow. It just set people on fire. Some loved it. Some thought it was, some thought it was a scandal. Now, you know, now. Yeah, that's hard, you know. to, that's hard to imagine. Uh, what, what, oh, what gave you the, uh, the idea to do with that? Did you, is there a character it was based on? Or, um... It was based on a friend of mine named Jack Latham. Mm-hmm. Jack and I were friends from grad school. He went to live in San Francisco. Um, my first wife and I would go up and see him. Um, he was just a really great guy. I remember talking, I talking, talking to somebody, and I said, "You know, I'm in the middle of this book, and it's kind of flat. And, you know, I've got all these characters, and I'm looking for an anchor of some sort." And they said, or he or she said, "What about Jack? He's a great model." And I thought, "Oh boy, he's the uncle." Of course. Um, and I got that little tremor. You get a little tremor when you like finish a poem and you know it's going to set well. I got that little tremor and I thought, oh, sure. Mm-hmm. And it worked out. Did you have any idea it was going to be controversial? Is, is that something you had in mind? I never, no, I'm not that way. You know, I, don't, I don't throw kerosene on the fire, for example. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I trust my publisher. My publisher... Liz McNeil was my editor from Candlewick. Candlewick wants to make money. They want to sell books. So if she thought it was a good idea, I thought it was a good idea. And if she'd said, oh, you know, Ron, this is a little too much for right now. What can we do? And I, I would have done it. Mm-hmm. When I talked to, when I would go to, I did a lot of school visits for YA novels. And, you know, some smarty pants kid, which I didn't mind because I am a smarty pants kid, would say, well, you know, did you ever sell out? And I would say, it just depends on how much. <laughs> <they're>... <laughs> yeah. 
Would I change that character? You bet your ass I'd change that character. <laughs> I'd like to publish. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be alone with I don't want to be alone with my high moral values. Was, was there ever a book where you changed something? Like the editor said you have to change this and then you did and had to rewrite the whole book? Um not the whole book, but I I listen to my editors. Mm -hmm. You know, they're paying me for for me, a blue collar kid uh whose parent who, who was poor as a child. Um thirty thousand dollars was a lot of money. Um and I, they're smart people. They aren't editors because they don't know what's going on. They know the market. You know, they know what the reviews are likely to be like, et cetera, et cetera. So I listen to them. Uh, what about with poetry? Do you, because um, you know, it's a totally different world in the poetry world. There's no market. I mean, you know, roughly speaking. Do you listen to the, those editors or do you just do whatever the hell you want with poems? Well, you know, the editors, they, they almost never talk about the poems. I have friends, my two best poetry friends at the moment are Charles Harper Webb and Kim Dowler, mm -hmm. and we send each other poems. And I listen to Kim and, 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 and uh, Charles. You know, they're sharp, they've written all their lives, they, all, they always give good advice. So those are my editors for poetry. Mm -hmm. um, so Vicky Miko asks, um, how do you get into or interested in mythology? Because um, you do, mythology comes up a lot. Um, you know, horses come up a lot, and movies come up a lot. I think those are three really common themes of yours. But but how does the mythology play in, into that? Well, you know, I'm not quite sure, but I started to read about um, about Olympia, about Olympus. I mean, about the mountain, and I wrote I wrote a lot of poems. I started to write poems about the gods and goddesses, and once I had two or three. I thought, why not write some more? So let me find. This is Olympusville. Oh, I remember. From Res. Mm -hmm. Res. And here's what sets it off are the illustrations. Can you see Persephone? Yeah, we can, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'll read you a poem from Olympusville. It takes a little bit of a setup, as you and I talked about earlier. But I'll tell you. I'll tell you what I got interested, why I got interested. I got interested in mythology because it was interested in me. You know, it was reciprocity. It was, it was, it was mutual. I wanted to hang out with the gods and goddesses, and they wanted to hang out with me. Because, in a way, who will speak for them if not me? Clearly, they wanted me to talk about them. And, of course... Therein, let me find some book. Well, yeah, here. Here's Artemis, you know, the archers. And the poem I want to read you is about Actaeon and Artemis. And let me get the poem. Yeah. This is a long way around answering that question. But that's the answer I was interested in. It, it was interested in me. So here's the setup for the poem. It's, it doesn't have a title because in Olympusville, the title is, um, I think the name is Artemis. And it went like, like the Zeus poem is Zeus and Hera is Harris. So, but the story of Actaeon and Artemis, she was a, a goddess who at three sat on her father's lap and her father was Zeus. 
and she asked for a number of things. Here are four of them. She asked her father, Zeus, not to be distracted by love and marriage, to be chased forever. There's a nice pun on that because she's a hunter. Um, she wanted a bow and arrow like her brother Apollo. She wanted a hunting costume because she didn't want to dress like a lady or a girl. And she wanted a coterie of nymphs to serve and protect her. And Zeus found his children irresistible, and so he granted all her wishes. So she's the goddess of the hunt, and she's also um, the god of chastity and of marriage. She just didn't want to be married. So this poem is at the end of all the poems about the gods and goddesses. And let me find this for you. It's about the nymphs, water nymphs. And here they are. Can you see it? Good. And they're in the pool. The woman who did the illustrations, Alicia Kleeman, did a terrific job dressing them in 50s garb and putting the water nymphs in a pool like they were going to swim, you know, competitively. But here's the poem um, about the water nymphs, and it's, it's in uh, the speaker's first person, but she's talking for all for herself and all of her friends, and here it is. We're water nymphs or mountain nymphs, naiads and oreads. Everybody knows we love groves, pastures, trees, glens, springs, lakes. But the names we call each other, names that are warm in the mouth, are secret. We can live a long time, but trees die, wells dry up. Does anyone besides her sisters mourn the passing of a nymph? Our version of happiness is each other and the natural world. It doesn't really include babysitting. But Artemis asked Daddy Zeus for handmaids, and Zeus, dear, and, and, sorry, pardon me, and Zeus recruited us, dimming his glory so we could see him and not end up like poor Semele, who just went poof. Everyone knows how Zeus is, and we thought he was here for that, and which one of us would he choose? I looked right back at him and he laughed. Zeus like sass. He touched my shoulder. His breath in my ear was like an aria. Take care of my daughter, he said. So we protect Artemis, listen for the rustle in the underbrush, the panting of some hunter's hounds, his laser eyes. Between ourselves, we whisper, it's just another stupid man. We confound those every day. But we gather around her, make a fence for her nakedness, even though we're mostly naked, voluptuous and shadowy and dripping wet too. Usually they die like that Acteon guy, but sometimes they get away. And imagine the stories they tell if they find their way home. There are 20 of us like a small sorority. We fall in and out of love with each other all the time, but we keep that away from Artemis. We're essentially your slaves. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Can we bring you anything? Would you like to take a nap? We love it when she's asleep. Then we can be, for a little while, our true selves. Yeah. And that was, um, it was Artemis, right? From which, which one? Artemis. Yeah, Artemis from Olympusville. Yeah. Olympusville, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, Catherine Swanson has a good, interesting comment. She says, um, the Greek and Roman gods and goddesses were so flawed they made great subjects for poems. I never really thought about it like that, but it is that they're so flawed and human. It's almost as if the flaws are as important as their strengths. Well, I think the reason they were popular um, in, in the years when they were popular, they're just like humans magnified. Yeah, yeah. They're horny, mean, they're relentless if they're mad. You don't want to cross them. They're acerbic. Um I mean, you know, the story of Leda and the swan, that's Zeus. Zeus just couldn't keep his robe on. He's just, he'd do anything. He became an ant so he could seduce someone. He became a sparrow so he could marry his wife the first time. And she took him and put him between her breasts so he'd be warm. And she just found that so irresistible. And then he showed himself in all of his glory. If Zeus showed himself to a mortal, they went up in flames. So he was sleeping with a woman named Simile. She asked him, oh, you know, I want to see you. And he said, I told you I'd grant you any wish. So here goes. Boom, she's gone. Hmm. Is there any um, um, book or anything you'd recommend for Greek mythology? Because I've, it's one of the things I've never sort of gotten into. So, so when you tell these stories, you know, I'm familiar with them because they're part of the culture. But I don't know the stories very well. Is there anywhere, maybe Olympusville? <laughs> Is there any other book besides for Olympusville? I, I start there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I did it. I Google everything. Mm -hmm. And it just took me from one place to another. And you could simply Google who were the gods on uh, Olympus. And they would tell you the story mm -hmm. of Zeus and his two brothers and all their wives. And there's a, there's a heartbreaking story of... Uh, Hephaestus, the forger, uh, the master of the forge and the blacksmith, and his wife didn't love him. He was crippled. And so she took up with Ares, the god of war. It just broke Hephaestus' heart. He made, to trap them when they were having sex one night, he made a net of gold so fine you could barely see it, but you couldn't get out of it. So he throws it across them while they're, after they're done making love. And he calls the other gods, and he says, look at this. Look at this, look what they're doing, I want them punished. She was so beautiful that they couldn't bring themselves to punish her. Mm. Stories are fantastic. <laughs> and they, it makes no, it's no surprise that, um, that, that they fit with, with you and that you're interested in them, because I, I think you're very similar, because it's sort of like pure imagination, like running with stuff. It's, it's sort of the essence of what you do, it seems like, and that's kind of what the Greek stories are as, as far as I know them. Um, yeah, it's true. Yeah, I love to just, you're, I like that. I love to just take an idea and just run with it and see how far it'll go. I love the idea of pure invention because my stories at Olympusville have the same characters, but they aren't the stories in the books of mythology at all. So, you know, yes. Um, there's another, another interesting question from Vicky Miko, and I know sort of about, about your childhood a little bit, but she says, do, do you grow up in a religious household? And if so, how did you part from it when you say, I like iconoclasm and practice it in my fiction? So, so, so can you describe your, your childhood a little bit and, um, and where you came from? Sure. Yeah. yeah, I come from a little town in southern Illinois um, named Collinsville. Do you know where St. Louis is on the river? It's across the Mississippi. It was, um, let me just take a sip like you did, 24,000 people. The poet Robert Wrigley oh, was born okay. in Collins. Mm -hmm. Two poets, no waiting, you know, like a barbershop. Um, the idea that there's two poets in Collinsville is astonishing, I think. And my background was religious. My parents were what used to be called hard shell Baptist, 
they weren't mean people at all. They weren't particularly strict, um, but they took me to um, re uh, revival meetings, big tents where people handled snakes. There's that section in the Bible that if you handled snakes and you're righteous, you won't get bit and you won't die. I saw people throw their crutches away and run forward after they'd given their life to Christ. So I was, I took all that stuff very seriously, even though I had friends who were much more well-balanced than I and just thought, you know, it's a bunch of stories. I, I, I wasn't so sure. I, you know, I, I thought if God was looking in my ear and seeing what I was thinking, I thought, wow, this isn't good. You know, he's not going to like this. So I got to a point where I was about 13, and it was just too much for me. I told my parents, I can't go to church anymore. I don't, I don't believe it, and it's mean. Um, and I probably thought, I'm going to go to hell anyway. I may as well begin having a pretty good time. So, so I began to have a better time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have a couple of poems in Yellow Moving Van about um, your, your parents. Is there any you'd want to read, maybe, to... to make it sure yeah do we know which do we know which one it is um, or do we, or do we have to... i don't know i was thinking of the i think it's dear reader about your grandparents is that right uh-huh yeah it is yeah. i think yeah. let's see if we can, can you find On page it? nine that's oh, just what i was thinking of when you were talking about your family anyway um, these are my grandparents, uh, um, Rachel and Wes Kirchie. Uh, they're my dad's parents, obviously. And um, I'm going to I'm going to overpronounce something toward the end of this poem. Um, it's easier to read on the page, but um, and I um, we would visit my like my, my grandparents, my dad's parents, on these like guilt journeys. We have to go back to Aldi and we have to see the folks, you know, this kind of three-hour drive. And it was a real farm. And they were hard scrabble people. They would take my dad out of school because the crops needed to be brought in. You know, that was more important. Um, so here's the poem. Dear reader, I want to introduce you to my grandparents because they're going to be in this poem. Wes and Rachel Kirchie, Please come in. You'll see they're in coveralls, rubber boots, gloves, and the like, because they're farmers who work side by side all their lives. It's clear they're happy to be here. They're impressed by my lodging, which by today's standards are modest, but lavish by theirs. From a glass-topped coffee table, Wes picks up a copy of The New Yorker. And because he is a farmer and a dead farmer at that, he squints as he shows it to Rachel, saying, The new porker. They beam at me, imagining I've turned out all right after all. <laughs> yeah, so that was a dear reader from uh, Yellow Moving Van. What do you think they would, uh, they would say if, um, if they knew you were a writer and that you did this as a job? Would they be surprised or would they, what would they think about it? Well, I was writing poems when my parents were alive. Yeah. I didn't show them everything, but they found me a real anomaly. They didn't quite know where I came from or how I turned out to be the way I am. My, I'm, I'm an only child and much loved by my mother, um, really cherished, to use that word in its, in its basic sense, of loved deeply. 
Um, my dad was fine, but he was such a hard worker. He had he barely had time for himself. And I know where his unhappiness came from. It's because he wanted to be a cowboy. He was a cowboy when he was younger. He yearned for that. And there was this deep bass note of unhappiness that would sound in the house. And I could hear it and feel it. And it made me never want to have to live through that. Worked hard so I could go to college. He, you know, I would call from graduate school, ask for $100, utterly embarrassed to have to ask. So maybe that's why I can't take myself or anything too seriously. Mm. Because everything was serious throughout my childhood. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. Um, what does it mean to be a cowboy? I don't even, honestly, I don't even know. As you were saying that, I was thinking about that. Like, what does a cowboy do? I mean, he drove, he drove cattle mm-hmm. from Kansas City into somewhere in New Mexico. Oh, wow. He and four other guys on horseback. Hmm. He was in his 20s. Wow. They still did that then? I, I didn't know. <laughs> they did it back yeah. then. And we're going back. We're going back to before World War II, of course, because he was drafted into World War II as a, I think, a 35 or 36-year-old man with a wife and child. Oh, wow. I know. I know. Um, Well, what do you want to read next, Ron? We have like maybe 13 minutes left, so time for like two more poems and some talking about them. Okay. Um, I know, what I, I know what I want to read last, a poem called Mattress Palace, because it's, it fits in perfectly with uh, the first poem you read about, about jobs and about work summer uh, jobs. Yeah, yeah. This, this was the job I had at, uh, after I graduated from high school. So I'll read that last. Um, here, I'll read you a poem about Snow White, because I'm, I'm crazy about fairy tale characters. Um, this book from my YA publisher, can you see mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Is all revisited fairy tales. We didn't see the title though. What's it called? Um, yeah, sorry. Lies, knives, and girls in red dresses. Lies, knives, and girls in wet red dresses. Yeah. yeah. That is a great cover. Oh, it's a wonderful cover. That's what they'll do for you in Kidlet too. They'll spend money on the covers. <laughs> yeah. um, this poem um, is about um, Snow White. Um, if, if, if this was a reading with, you know, you know, in a bookstore or at the Broad or something, I wouldn't talk about it like this. But it's not. We're just chatting here. The title is from an A. Alvarez poem. Do you know his work, Al Alvarez? No, I was wondering. We published Amy Alvarez in the last issue, so I, I was wondering who was that, but I didn't know who that was. This is the guy who wrote the book about poker that got poker onto television. He's also a writer. Oh, really? Was it the, is it Rounders, the, the movie, the, the book's based on, or, or no? I don't know. I don't know. It could be. I don't, I don't think so. But a friend of mine, a librarian friend of mine, um, Michael Toman, sends me a poem every day from the Paris Review. And in an Alvarez poem, there was a line. It's the title of this poem called The Uneasy Trance Will Never Break. And Michael said to me, that sounds like Snow White to me. Hmm. I literally picked up a pen and wrote an entire draft of this poem in five minutes. <laughs> it was so, it was, it was the ultimate prompt. Man, I tinkered with the poem, hmm. you know. 
Good for your friend. I screwed up the line breaks on purpose. So I, really, I knew he was glad to hear that. This is a cool poem to read because our prop for today, which we're going to be reading, uh, you know, poets uh, send in their their poems every week, is a three minute poem. So um, we have you beat by wow. two minutes here, but that's impressive. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So the title is "The Uneasy Trance Will Never Break," uh, and it is about Snow White, and it's from her point of view. I love to step into the clothes of fairy tale characters, of gods and goddesses, and become them for a little while. Oh, this is Snow White. There I lay with a piece of apple caught in my throat. I wasn't dead, I wasn't alive, not in the usual sense. Trance is the perfect word, uneasy trance. I can see the same sky move from light to dark, to light again and again, and again, always the dwarf to stand guard. They took turns, like they took turns cooking and washing up. Sometimes happy polished the glass coffin. Bashful looked askance. Alone with me, they bared their souls. They didn't know that I could hear. I can't repeat the things they said. They're private, beyond privacy. A privacy transmuted into mystery. They loved me, truly. One kiss from any of them and I would have sat up and yawned. Maybe they didn't want to stand on a box. Maybe they didn't know how to kiss. I was as bored as any figure in a snow globe. I was happy to see the prince. He loved me in the customary true love way. After his customary kiss, I got to take a deep breath. As I said goodbye to the dwarves, I whispered to each of them, your secret's safe with me. They wept like children and held onto my skirt as I tore myself away. Mm, very nice. That was uh, The Uneasy Trance Will Never Break. Um, exactly. And um, I don't know, it's one thing that um, having kids has made me realize is that how much... Um, you know, children's stuff, they're great stories. And, and we don't, as adults, they're, they're different. The, the imagination is so much larger in children's writing and children's stories than in um, adults. And so getting to read stories like that again and watching even Disney movies and appreciating them has been really fascinating having, I have a 10 and a six-year-old now. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we have time for maybe for two more poems, actually. Do you want to do the coyote poem that you sent, too? I don't want to skip that over. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, sure. I love the coyote poem. There I step into his fur, his pelt, to become him. You know, not into, his, not into anybody's clothes, like I just said. There are coyotes um, where I live in South Pasadena, down by the Arroyo, if you know the area. Bianca and I see them. Not as much anymore, but we see them. So... <laughs> this coyote is, is really a sharp cookie. It begins like this. I live in the hills, and my enemies live in the arroyo by the freeway. I probably shouldn't say enemies. We're not Montagues and Capulets. But we are different packs, so we don't mingle. That would mean lots of snarling and ritual posturing. There's time for that. I'd rather keep to the shadows than listen to, listen to humans argue or watch snippets of TV shows that are sometimes educational, but mostly full of violence and gore. I am fascinated by human nature. Take Maureen, whose husband ran away from home, perhaps weary of rolling over and playing dead. 
Now Maureen swears and weeps and talks on her tiny phone. She takes Coco for walks. Sometimes Coco wears a little sweater or a raincoat. It's astonishing. At first, Maureen picked Coco up and hugged, hugged him, and then Coco licked her face, which reminded her of something her husband used to do after a party. But Coco is just a dog. He doesn't understand. Maureen has a friend who understands. Her husband also disappeared into a moonless night, but left a lot of Chardonnay. When those two get together, Coco is shooting into the backyard to do his business. An eight-foot fence is nothing. In an instant, I have Coco in my jaws, then over the fence again and up to the bougainvillea. The petals, appropriately blood-red, cling to my fur for a while. If there are pups, I take most of Coco back. I watch the pups feed, snarling and tearing at the carcass. Soon, all that is left is a rhinestone collar, and I add that to the others. And when the sun is at just the right angle, they glitter like treasure. That was coyote. Yeah, we have a lot of coyotes here. And um, it, it's fascinating. I don't know. There's something about maybe it's because we have dogs and dogs are so smart. But when you see coyotes, I can't help but think like, what have they seen? It seems like they know so much that they're not, you know, they can't tell you, but they know there's like a knowledge to coyotes. I love that. Um, yeah, I love the idea of him hanging around watching television, just picking up language. <laughs> And, yeah, and being able to talk in the way that he talks. Ready for Mattress yeah, Palace? Do wanna, the yeah, do you want to finish up with that last poem? Sure. Um, I'll set this for you, uh, for everybody. And for those of you who are watching, thanks a lot. Thanks for tuning in. Um, this fits in perfectly, as I said. We didn't plan this, but it's a frame. This wasn't a summer job, but it was a job after I got out of high school. And... Uh, Mattress Palace was the name of the warehouse, but it was basically just a big warehouse. We sold mattresses. That's what we sold. And here's the poem. When couples were finished whispering about their savings account, I'd urge them to lie down on one of the sleigh beds while I imagined a Russian winter complete with wolves and samovars. Or perhaps something in the industrial style with elegantly refined detail. Well, I imagined a time clock and a shrill whistle. I was a pretty good salesman, so indifferent to success that I was successful. Maybe because I didn't want to go home to my room, to my anxious parents, to the homework from the night classes at Southern Illinois University. The only bed I couldn't sell was the round one with the red silk sheets. The men were awed, but their wives would tug at them, anxious to pay for the Simmons beauty rest, and at last, maybe, get a good night's sleep. In the office beneath calendars featuring blondes and black negligees looking rested, we'd do the paperwork, shake hands all around, and then I was alone with shafts of sunlight coming through the tall, dirty windows. And then one day, a goddess descended, hair aflame from the afternoon light. She took my face in her two hands and said, Ronnie, save yourself. I woke up on the ground. I'd fainted or had a seizure. The doctor, a smoker, and in those days with a smoker's cough, said, 
Well, I wouldn't worry about it unless it happens again. I kissed my mother goodbye. I told my girlfriend I was sorry. I pointed my green Plymouth West, of course. And every night parked in lots where enormous trucks idled and men swore at the food a hundred yards away. I dreamed. I dreamed of a white room, a pen with a cap off, a chair with a shirt thrown across the back, a shirt that I would put on against the chill of the morning as I sat down to become, apparently, the man I was supposed to be. Wonderful poem. That was a mattress palace, or mattress palace, from Ron Kirchie's newest book, Yellow Moving Van. Before you go, Ron, I, I meant to ask, and, and I didn't. Um, what are you working on now? Are you um, writing novels still, or are you focusing on poetry now, or, or what are you doing? I'm focusing on poetry because I just, maybe three weeks ago, sent my agent another uh, young adult mm-hmm. book about uh, about a kid who's a skateboarder. And, you know, I had to do research. I asked my neighbor kids. I, I went online. The names of the tricks in skateboarding are fantastic. They are, yeah. Um, this is a little little bit of a long shot. Um, I haven't, my last book was a book called Coal, C-O-A-L, Coal Town Jesus, uh, set in my hometown. 90 pages, crisp beyond belief, almost all dialogue in a kind of free verse. Um, this is wall-to-wall prose. This is a standard novel. And, you know, being an old white male these days is not exactly the writer to be. So we'll see. But I really enjoyed writing it. Um, but for the first time, I could write poems in the morning, prose in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. So you never know. You never know. Well, that's wonderful. Thanks so much, Ron. Thanks for joining us and sharing, sharing all this good stuff with us today. Always a pleasure to see you. Um, be happy to see you again yeah, sometime. Yeah, always is. Thanks, Ron. Have a good night. You bet. Bye, everybody. Bye. I said it was Ron Kirchie um, with his uh, newest book, which you can find from Pitt Press, Yellow Moving Van. Um, his recent books are um, The Ogre's Wife from Red Hen Press, um, Olympusville, a whole bunch of other books. Um, very, very entertaining and one of the most down-to-earth and reverent kind of uh, writers I've ever met. So um, pick up some of his books if you haven't read them yet. Now we're going to move on to our open mic phase of the show. And um, if you would like to be on the open mic, this is how it works. So um, it's, it's for the prompt every week that we do the open mic. And um, if you wrote a prompt poem, um, the prompt for the week was, let me show it to you if I can... If I can find it really quick. The prompt for this week was a three-minute poem. Set a timer for three minutes and write until your three minutes is up. No editing afterward. That's this week's prompt. Three-minute poem. Set a timer for three minutes and write until your three minutes is up. And unlike most weeks, you could do it right now as we're, um, you know, you have three minutes. So um, you could write a poem now. And if you do, uh, send it to... Open mic at rattle.com so we can show it on the screen. Uh, that's all one word, open, O-P-E-N-M-I-C at rattle.com. And then you call in either 818-850-7727 or and, and you call, let it ring a few times so you appear on my call list and then I will call you back when the, the timing is right. Or you can send me a chat message over Skype to Rattle Poetry, um, all one word, Rattle Poetry, and I will call you again. Once again, the time is right and you can be on video too. Um, so let's see what we have 
for this week as everybody gets settled in and you can write your three-minute poems right now. Um, for, let's see. Now, my three-minute poem, um, it is hard to write a three-minute poem, I have to say. It, it was much less time than I thought it would be. I thought you could just crank it out, but um, I squeezed it in. It was tough. Um, so this is my my poem. Now, if you, if you watch the... Um, if you watch the Potterspond live, you know that after Potterspond live on Sunday, I had to take my dog, uh, Henry, a big, big old German shepherd, to uh, rattlesnake training. We have a lot of rattlesnakes here. He rattlesnakes here. He spends a lot of time outside, and uh, we're terrified of him getting bit um, by a rattlesnake. So, um, and actually, what happened? We were we were hiking in the woods a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, two months ago, and um, there was a king snake there, and he just was really curious and sniffing it and licking it. And then I thought, um, oh no, if that was a rattlesnake, we'd be in trouble. So we took him to rattlesnake training. And um, that gave me the little idea for this three-minute poem, which is called Social Media Training, which is uh, maybe if... I think we just need more operant conditioning in this world. That's all I'm saying here. So Social Media Training. The dog approached the rattlesnake, head cocked to one side, inquisitive, Zap. The dog leapt back. Good boy, the trainer said, and gave him a biscuit. Next came the skin. Not even a snake, just the presence of snakeness. Zap. The dog leapt back. Good boy, the trainer said, and gave him a biscuit. They approached the rattle box. It rattled. The dog leapt back. That wasn't me, the trainer said. He already knows. Good boy, he said, and gave him a biscuit. Finally, the test. Call the dog from across the yard, the trainer said. If he avoids the snake, give him a biscuit. Good boy, the trainer yelled from across the yard. So that is my, my um, three-minute poem. And Megan's three-minute poem, is, is always is the case, is much better than mine. Uh, but, but that is life when you're married. So here, this is, The world is ending and my squash is sprouting. Terrible things are happening in the world, and my squash is sprouting. People are in pain. People are obscene. The leaves are small and green. It's nothing at all. It doesn't matter, but here it is. When I cook it, I'll add sugar to make it sweet. It will taste like summer. You'll suffer. You'll eat. That was Megan's poem for the prompt. Her three-minute poem, The World is Ending and My Squash is Sprouting. Uh, let's see what you have. Um, let's see. Yeah, so we have, let me see who we would like to call first. We have uh, uh, Caitlin Buxbaum, Brent Topolis, uh, <laughs> Dick Westheimer, Angel Gartner, uh, Carla Schwartz, a 773 number, a 360 number. So let's just go and see what we got. Um, none of these poems can be more than three minutes, I think. I think you can't write a poem faster than you can speak it, probably. So, um, so these should be quick. So let's get through a whole bunch of these poems really quick. And we'll call up Caitlin because she's the first one to ask. I'll find her poem. Let's see, I'm finding it on the open mic at rattle.com. Caitlin, hello. Let me pull you over here. Oh, I'm not getting any sound. Hmm. Okay, one second. <laughs> I'll switch it to my view. Yeah, Caitlin's looking for her microphone, I think. I see her, we see her video. It's just silent. Um, I'll, call, I'll hang up and call you back in just a, in just a couple minutes. You'll be the next poet. Okay. Uh, let's do Richard Westheimer. 
give Richard a call. See what he's got for us this evening. Yeah, and it looks like everybody who's called is sent in poems. Everybody knows the drill. Thanks so much for doing that. Richard, how you doing this tonight? Let me pull you in. Hang on, you're not you're not live yet. There you go. How you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Um, this was a fun prompt. I had a whole number of pages of them by the time I was done. Oh, this is uh, funny. You've got you got two of them, and you have the actual time listed. <laughs> yeah, you know, like to get that last line in there. I, added a few seconds there <laughs> yeah um, i uh, for me it was easy because I, I repeated the same lines a bunch of times so i could right. just pace pace, pace. <laughs> that was a, a trick i thought of at the last as i was going um, yeah I, I wrote i wrote uh so i'll read the second one and and i had written a third one that was about an editor talking about an um non-specific you mm-hmm. which uh, was a critique you gave on friday oh yeah and I was thinking, oh, shoot, you know, this poem has one of those in it. So I then quickly <laughs> tried to write a poem about a non-specific you. <laughs> that sounds good. That sounds good. Okay, so I have it. Let's see. Um, I have it for everybody. My cup runneth over is the one you wanted to do, right? Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll do that one. Um, you ready? Yep. Okay. My cup runneth over. If anything, this latest light rain has taught me So long as my cistern is full and its walls tight, drought is just fine with me. You, however, may be screwed if yours is built on a fault line. If all the water you've collected is leaked through cracks big enough for you to fall through, and if your crops wither and your children thirst, that will leave all the more rain for me, which, come to think of it, is as stupid as it sounds. For who will come to wash my dishes if you are starved? I guess I'll have to give you a drop of my water, which makes more sense to me than helping you rebuild your cistern. Awesome. Thanks so much for sharing that, Richard. Excellent poem for three minutes. That's amazing. This was a fun prompt, I think. Uh, it's cool that you got multiple poems out of it. Yeah, well, I'm going to keep doing it. It's, it's a great exercise. It's cool. Yeah, we had an issue. I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but we had an issue of Rattle number 19, which was the 20-minute poem issue. So all the poems in the theme section took 20 minutes, which um, uh, they were done in actual workshops, so so they knew that it was true. Um, but um, but three is, is, is much different than 20. Yep, you've got to run to the finish line. You, you really do. It's a sprint. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, thanks so much. Good to see you, Richard. Yeah, thanks for the prompt. Really loved it. Okay, have a good night. Okay, let's see. We'll go back to Caitlin now. Hopefully she... Um, can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Hello, Caitlin. How are you doing okay. today? And uh, kind of you have the best oh, internet connection of anybody. I got to shrink you down. There I had you know, such a good track record for answering <laughs> promptly and getting everything right. And, and I don't have my headset or my webcam, so I'm using all my computer's internal stuff, uh-huh. which is normally disabled. So I'm like, ugh. Well, you, sa- you sound good. You out. look good. Um, you're still the master of technology. Um, so I see. I see three things you sent. There was um. Like um, pictures, and then there's a text file. What did you want me to show, or what do you want to do? Um, why don't you show the typed version? Okay. I sent you um, the handwritten version from my journal because mm-hmm. I thought that'd be kind of fun to see both. I'll, I'll, I'll put them on the screen so people can just see what they're looking at. Yeah, I don't know how. My, I don't know. Maybe other people write much faster than me. Let me let me put this up for everybody. But I can't imagine Uh-oh. writing by hand and only having three minutes. Um, <laughs> You know, I type probably like five times faster than I write or something like that. So, um, mm-hmm. well, 
I very I try to avoid composing poems in Microsoft Word or some other word processor. Um, I don't know. I just feel like for poems, I gotta write them out the first time by hand. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a lot of people say like it say, like it comes the poem comes down the arm. I don't know who I, I a bunch of people have said that before. Uh, it's a thing that people say, and I don't. I I think I I can't keep up with my brain if I write by hand. That's my and I can't read my writing either, so I have no idea what I wrote afterward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's usually me too. Um, you know, I I will say that I think I write much uh, faster than some people from that. That's training left over from my reporting days. <laughs> okay. Like, I I've shown people my notes from interviews sometimes, and they're like. How can you read that? I'm like, don't worry about it. I got it. So. Okay. So this is your anyway. three minute poem and it's called appropriately three minute poem. Yeah. I couldn't think of a title off right away. So I just put that one in there. I did put in um, an epigraph because that's um, kind of what prompted the poem. And it's something that I heard a long time ago, but it sticks with me. It's something uh, the actor Eddie Redmayne said. He said, if you get caught up in listening to what too many people have to say, that's where madness lies. And hmm. I love that quote. So that's what I was thinking about when I wrote this. Cool. You ready for me? Okay. Yep. And here we are again in the thick of it, having forgotten our own words and fallen into other people's speaking patterns our voices obscured by what we think we know and what they say we mean. Will it ever be enough to speak our own thoughts, champion our own causes as we believe in them? Everyone is waiting or dying or waiting to die since truth is no longer an option and right has become a figment of the imagination, shame and afterthought of those late to the revolution. Maybe one day... We will understand something. Very nice. That was Caitlin Buxbaum with Three Minute Poem. Thanks so much for sharing that, Caitlin. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, and I also wanted to mention I did not change any line breaks or add any punctuation because I wrote it before you gave those stipulations. (laughs) Very good. Okay, well, thanks, Caitlin. Have a good night. Yeah, you too. Bye. Okay, um, let's see. Who is next? Um... Let's try let's try this three six zero number. I don't know who this is, but I assume they probably sent a um poem over. Might be Diane Knox at three six zero. I think she called on Sunday. Okay, we'll try that three six zero number again in a little bit. Um let's see. It could have been Daniel Mask too. I remember there was a three six zero number on Sunday. Let's do um Brent. Brent Stoffer, that's who Brent is. Hey, Brent, how you doing? Hey, how's it going? Good. Let me uh, let me pull you in. I can hear you. It's a little quiet. Let me see if I can crank the volume up anymore. Yeah, it's it's very low. Ah, there you go. How's this? That's good. Yeah, you got it. A little better. Yeah, that's much better. Um. All right. Well, hey, thanks for. Colin. Yeah, my pleasure. So I got yours. Yours is, a, yours is called Three Minute Poem, too. Yeah, well, um, this should actually make Caitlin feel a lot better. I'm like scrambling to get a, uh, a uh, to get the poem printed, uh-huh. which actually 
didn't work and the only but anyway i've got it on this phone now okay so i'm okay okay cool cool but it should make Caitlin feel better okay <laughs> yeah this technology stuff is tough to juggle yeah <laughs> um and i have discovered that i'm a very slow right yeah yeah i was thinking yeah, that too yeah. i always used to think i was fast but then when i try to crank out something in three minutes Okay, the little yeah. clock was on the side, and I was like, oh, go, hurry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Okay. Yeah, me too. Okay, so let's hear it. Okay, here's my three-minute phone. Alabama, you are far from me now, but somehow not far enough. Alabama, there are ten states between us, but I still smell the beer on your breath. We pass through Hungry Mother Preserve to get to the land of the fife and drum. We passed the Lost Sea. Very nice. I still smell the beer in your breath. I love that line. Yeah. 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 The thing I like about this prompt is that I think that that's going to be the beginning of a poem. Yeah. That makes and sense. So I think I'm still going to get something good out of it. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thanks so, so much for sharing that, Brent. All right. Thanks so much again. Yeah. Have a good night. Okay. Let's see. Let's try this 85805 called while we were talking to Brent. Let's see who that was. Hello. Hey, this is Tim with Rattle. Uh, who am I talking to? Dan Mask. Hey, Dan. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Let me turn you off here. Yeah, go ahead. How do you go? Go ahead and do that. I'll meet you for a second while you do that. You good? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Okay, so so you got you got a lot of words out on the page here. You type fast. Or... I can type I can type pretty fast. Yeah, apparently. Uh, I went out. I was, I went outside the front door and I just started writing everything I I saw and heard. <laughs> so. Very very good. Is there anything you want to say about it, or do you want to just dive right in? No, I I think it is really true what that turtle did. Okay, so uh-huh. that we me and my girlfriend are really surprised what this turtle did. So it's really true. I didn't make it up. <laughs> okay, very cool. I'm looking forward to hearing it. I haven't I haven't read any of these, so I have no idea what you're talking about yet. But I'll find out in a second. Okay, here we go. Okay. Looking out my front door of my house towards the street, my dog returns from peeing. A man in a white shirt is walking on the sidewalk across the street from my house. A blue car passes by my house. Cardinal sings. A dandelion parasol seed floats by. Then resting on a leaf, another one floats by landing on the flower bed. Another bird I'm not familiar with is chirping loudly, drowning out the cardinal's bird song. Three, be- three vehicles go by, one after the other, all in the same direction. One is a FedEx truck driving fast over the rud- road hump. The hump shifts this cargo with an echo hump. The purple pansy and the planter uh, flow, with, flow with the blow from a, from a slight breeze. The breeze wafts through the house since the back and the front door are both open. It is partly cloudy and the trees are lifting slightly by the breeze. The oak tree's limbs are swaying slightly as if saying hello. A mockingbird begins singing. A bird flies by the open door, zigs and zags. A turtle came by earlier before our walk and it ate some of the apple we gave it and it is now tucked underneath the pine straw and near the back edge of the bullnose brick porch that leads to the front door. There is once a raucous cacophony of bird song, then silence, then the sweet chirping mixed sound of one cat bird, then silence again. Very nice. Thanks for sharing that. And uh, once again, that oh, was, I love uh, that. 
I love that turtle. Love that turtle. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks so much for that. I love the rhythm of that. You really crank it out, but you still got the sense of rhythm going. Did I? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Have a good Quick. night, Dan. Good yeah. first track. Yeah. Thanks, well, buddy. It worked. Thank you. Oop, I keep doing that. Sorry, everybody. Sorry, Dan. Okay, let's go back to the 360 number. Uh, whoever whoever was there called back again, so I know they're ready now. Let's see who it is. I'm thinking it's Diane Knox. Hello, this is Tim with Rattle. Did you want to share a poem? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have, uh, it's 945. Yes, Do this you is... know where your life is? Yeah, this is Diane Knox. It is. Okay. Yeah, yeah, thanks for calling again. Is there anything you want to say about it before you read it? Uh, just that I I realize that everything comes in threes. Hmm. Anyway. Uh, Interesting, yeah, yeah. It does. Uh, I, I'm thinking uh, trimesters of birth and, and, I mean, pregnancy and so forth. Anyway, uh, it's 945. Do you know where your life is? It's 9.45 p.m. What can a person do in three minutes? Boil an egg? Write a poem? No, stick with the egg, which is a birth sign. Life begins in three-minute increments. Life goes by in three-minute intervals. We decide what each three minutes will be about. Then... It runs out at 9.48. Very nice. I like that a lot, Dan. Thanks for sharing. No, stick with the egg. That was great. (laughs) Great. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. Um, Okay, let's see. Who is up next? Michelle Parks. Carla Schwartz. Let's call it Carla. Carla, you there? Hello, Carla. Um, Let me pull you in just one second so everybody can hear you, too. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing very well, thank you. It's a great night of your rattlecast, as usual. Oh, it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. Where are you calling from now? I know you, you're on the boat. Um, are you usually are well, on a boat? Are you, are you up in Boston? Are you down somewhere else? I am on Bear Island uh, on Lake Winnipesaukee. So I'm on an island in oh. a house. <laughs> oh, in a house, okay. <laughs> and there's a boat. The houseboat is right in front of where I'm so in, I'm in, in what like state is that in? It's in New Hampshire. Ah, okay, cool. Well, great. For thanks for so much for joining us. Uh, is there anything you want to say about your poem before you uh, start? Sure. Uh, this poem. Um, so I put the timer on for three minutes, uh, and I was writing, and um, and I did write by hand also, and uh, and then this is the second three minutes. So I did the timer again because I <laughs> you know, I started. <laughs> anyway, so you don't know is, the truth. I did this. It, I did the same thing. I was going to write about something else, and I failed. And then I um, decided I got to do it, try it again. I think Megan did that too. Yeah, Megan wrote two poems this week. The nice thing about three minutes is that you only wasted three minutes. So That's right. Right. Well, that wasn't actually a waste. It was like a continuity, but I happen to like where this three minutes starts and ends. So it's actually, you just don't get to know about what what came before that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. So um, it's it's called Conversations with My Father. and you have that right to show? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Not bad, not good. What I hear is, I think I'm okay. What I hear is, I wake every day 
What I wonder is, do you wake up? What I wonder, will you wake up? What I hear, I wake up every day and ask myself. What I hear every call, every time, I wake up every day and ask myself, why am I here? A powerful poem, Kyle. I love that repetition. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, once again, that was Carla Schwartz, and you can check her out at CB99 videos on uh, on YouTube and everything, and carlapoet.com. Uh, thanks, Carla. Thank you. Yeah, great to, great to hear from you. Bye. Bye. Okay, let's see. So I think my um, people who are watching on um, Twitter and Periscope might be uh, might, have, <laughs> might have dropped out. Um, my phone ran out of batteries, and you got to sling it through your phone for Twitter and Periscope. Um, let's see. Who else do we have that we haven't got to? Let's try Michelle again. Uh, didn't didn't answer last time, but maybe whatever is going on is fixed. Hey, Michelle, uh, you there? Yeah, I don't know why my Skype is having issues. Well, you're, we got a good connection now, so everything is all set. Uh, good to hear from you. Although I think you're, we don't we don't see you. We see like your wall. It might be like flipped wrong. Yeah, um, I can't move oh, my neck. Okay, well that's that's totally fine. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> no, no worries about that. Um, let me get you your poem up so people can see it. So, is there anything you wanted to say about it before you read? Um. No, I. Well, yeah. The intent is to make it um more happy uh-huh. towards the end. Yeah. I guess. Okay. I can't really. I, I'm not good with words right now because my. You know, pain level, but whatever. Life is beautiful. Um, So this is my three-minute poem. Close my heart and hide my eyes. I don't want to know anymore. I've seen enough to break my love and read enough to believe I'm smart, but really, what's it worth to feel anymore? I tried to fake it, tried to make it, tried to believe that I'm not broken anymore. All these lies I tell myself after sleep and dreams and being awake, so I don't want to be awake anymore. I try and try to understand, but can't give in and hold your hand anymore. I wonder if we'd be okay if everything else just floated away, but I want to float away more and more. Thanks so much for sharing that, Michelle. That was another powerful poem um, and really well written, too. Thanks so much for sharing that. I hope you feel better soon. No, life is beautiful. You know, it's just one minute at a time, onward and upward. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thanks so much, Michelle. Thank you. Bye. Bye. There's a 773. There's Angela Gartner. Four minutes. Yeah, let's just do, let's see. Uh, how are you doing tonight? Great. I'm doing really good. So um, I'm trying to find, I think I have your poem from last week. Let's see. Angela... Oh, here. It's yeah, I opened up the wrong it, file. I got you. It's one night. Yeah. Okay, is there anything you want to say about it? You got a lot of words out, too, in three minutes. Yeah, you know what? It was the second three minutes that I got <laughs> because I was kind of in a dark mood. And I, I'm going to show you. I, I was looking at my George Orwell Tops card. Oh, yeah. And oh, had yeah. this typewriter in there. And I was looking at my hands. And... um. And I was just thinking about my hands. I just started kind of knocking it out. So, like, I was, like, the first poem was even darker, but, like, then this came along. So, um, it's kind of, it was kind of one of those, like, spooky nights I was thinking about. So, cool. Well, go ahead. I but, think I'm getting an echo, so I'm not going to say much, but go ahead. 
The veins stick out of these old hands. Slim fingers click away on the keys of this Remington home portable typewriter. He is watching me. A cigarette hangs off his unfleshed teeth. I feel his ghostly figure next to my chair. The smell of rot and bones rise from him. His bug-infested eye holes bores into my head. I met him once on an October night. His sharp knife went to my throat. I begged him to let me go. He didn't relent, and I thought I was going to die. Little did he know I had a trick of my own. I thrashed in his grass and struggled with all my might. The blade fell to the grass with both jumps. Slice, slice, slice. He jagged, the jagged edge went deep across his chest. He gurgled, fell silent, his, eight, his eyes glazed. That was 30 years ago, and his rage haunts me to this day. Oh, wow. Thanks for sharing that, Michelle. One night. I mean, not Michelle. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> Angela Gardner, sorry. But yeah, yeah. thanks for sharing that, Angela. Thank you. Have a good yeah, night. You too. Thanks. <laughs> okay, let's see. Um, could it be Vicky Miko, maybe? Let's see. We'll find out in a second. Hello? Hey, this is Tim with Rattle. Did you want to share a poem? <laughs> I did. Um Thanks for letting me be last and have the nerves for 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, is this Jessica Dawson? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> for some reason, like you, I don't know if you, I think you know what it is. Everybody else um, gets in line like ahead of you. You got to do it like right away so you don't have to go last. <laughs> oh, I was like, you know, I, I was like, I don't know when to send it. So I sent it at 901 and I'm like, that that feels early, you know, like, so mm -hmm. maybe I should start. Do people start sending them in like hours before um, the Maybe, podcast? you know, maybe I, I just lied totally. And maybe you were the first and I didn't notice you were on there. <laughs> Usually it's like <laughs> right at like nine o'clock. Some people start to, to put some requests in. Um, but sometimes I don't scroll down far enough is all. So I might've done that to you today, but, uh, yeah. So, so if you're still alive with the anxiety of waiting a half an hour, um, you know, you eventually it, you're going to break me of this, but like I get a little better every time. So I'm, it's fine. Um, well, you should see yeah. like me, like I have to host these things every week and, um, I, I used to be so nervous every time. Like if you look back at the original, I'm, you can't, I don't know if you could tell, but, um, I was uh, very nervous, and now it's just like I've done 50 of these plus 100 of the other stuff, and um, I just don't care. I'm going to say stupid things, and then people will forget that I said stupid things, and that's just how it's going to go. Yeah, every time I watch your – like, I, I I get most of the live streams. Sometimes I can't, um, even in a pandemic, but um, I'm like, he is such a pro. Like, you <laughs> – well, I... and you would – yeah, you admit, like, when you're like – yeah, I don't know what that means. I'm going to look it up. And I'm like, hell yeah. Like, I'm, I always get weird about admitting when I don't know something. But that's just like the power of knowledge. Like, you yeah. got to admit what you don't well, know. There, there's so. a lot that I don't know in this world. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so is there any, that's what I love about poetry. I learn so much just reading people's poems all day. It's a really fun, it's a fun way to learn, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was just going to say, before I read mine, um, Three minutes, that's a really interesting prompt. And I love, um, you know, I got to see how everybody approached this. Um, there are different ways. Mm -hmm. um, I came up with the title first, and then I typed in, like, three minutes and five seconds on my phone um, to be like, you know, how slowly are my fingers going to type? Um, <laughs> so this is a poem about a cockroach. That's a trigger warning for anybody that hates them as much as I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had, um, I was an RA in college, and we had, um, nobody had uh, run the faucets all summer and so the cockroaches were coming up and we got a, we got this 
this huge memo, or maybe it was like a phone call, like a conference call, and they said, "Do not call them cockroaches. Call them water bugs." <laughs> and oh so, my and god! And so we weren't allowed to use the word cockroach for any of the, you know, the parents, you know, the students would call and complain. We had to say they're not cockroaches. They're not. They're water bugs. <laughs> it's all about that spin. In Florida, we get the uh, flying ones, the palmetto bugs, oh, and god. they fly like right at your face. <laughs> you know, I'm so glad I live up north now. There's different bugs up here, but they're. I'm not near a roach, so I'm all about it. Yeah, I hear you. I hear. You. Okay, so here comes. The, there's nothing poetic about a cockroach. I, I kind of. Well, there's actually some poetic, but okay, go ahead. Don't you dare. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. There's nothing poetic about a cockroach, but I still think about the time I killed one and left its body in the middle of the kitchen and went back to the living room thinking the same thing we all tell ourselves when we leave insect carcass anywhere. That'll teach the rest of you a lesson. But that cockroach body became a feast for another cockroach. There hadn't been a lesson learned among them. The sound of that roach being eaten by another roach haunts my brain like an insect version of the telltale heart. Oh, man. That is, <laughs> that is bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's going to haunt my nightmares now. Thanks a lot, Jessica. I, I wish we'd done you first so I could get that out yeah, of my head. Yeah, I told you. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks for sharing that, though, and writing it. And uh, we'll call it in. Oh, thank you. Have a good night. You too. Bye. Bye. That is all for the Rattlecast for tonight. I do have to get the kids to bed. Next week's guest is going to be um, Carrie Gunter Seymour, who has had an amazing month, really. She's just named uh, Ohio Poet Laureate. She won, I think the, I I shouldn't say it because I don't know, I don't remember the details, but she won a, a huge award for this book, like maybe like Book of the Year in Ohio or something. This is a place so deep inside America it can't be seen, which I think is one of the best titles I've ever come up or I've ever read. A place so deep inside America it can't be seen. And it's about uh, Appalachia and uh, Appalachian poets. And um, she has another chapbook that we'll be reading from two, and uh, that is Rattlecast number 48, Tuesday, July 7th at 9 p.m. Eastern. And um, we're looking forward to seeing uh, Carrie. We published her... Poetry Spot a couple times, I think, and um, really looking forward to this book, um, A Place So Deep Inside America It Can't Be Seen. So that is next Tuesday, July 7th, and I will see you then. Have a good night.